We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Kansas City Chiefs are looking to bounce back from a loss against the Bills as they head to the Bay to take on the San Francisco 49ers with new running back Christian McCaffrey. And K-State and Mizzou are coming off a bye, and Kansas is hopefully getting that win against Baylor. I have everything you need to know right here on The Best of Everything. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. This is the best everything presented by Charlie Hustle, and I am your host, Michaela Bennett. First things first, the Kansas City Chiefs just lost to the Buffalo Bills. Now, they will turn around and head to San Francisco to take on the 49ers with a new running back on the 49ers. Christian McCaffrey has been traded to the Bay, and the Chiefs will be the first team to defend him in a 49ers jersey. What that means, we will see. But let's take a look back at the Buffalo Bills game and what the Chiefs did right and what they did wrong yes it was a loss but thankfully it was only in regular season and not in the postseason where I think the Chiefs fans would agree we would much rather win that one and lose this one so on Casey Lab this week they talked about the silver lining between losing this week and you know what it actually means that they got to see, you know, one look at the Bills before the postseason and hopefully, you know, figure out some tweaks, make some tweaks um, to their scheme going forward. I'm curious to see what the matchup looks like next time, how much they employ that, if they try anything else, how prepared the Chiefs will be for that. Because they will be prepared for that. And guess what? They're probably going to see it a few times here uh, during the rest of the season. Like, I think some teams will try to duplicate that a little bit because that just seems to happen uh, a little bit here with this team. So a uh, lot of, they're going to get a lot of reps looking at that stuff. I have a feeling moving over the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I let's start with this. I, oh. I have no problems with Steve Spagnuolo's game plan at all. I just like, well, not all, not at all is probably not the fairest statement. I don't really have a ton of problems with it. I, I know everyone's beat up about why didn't you give Joshua Williams help? Nah, 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 nah. I think you live by the blitz and you die by the blitz. And I still like, we, we kind of talked about this a little bit here, you know, uh, you know, on, on Sunday on the post game show, I look, I farther away from it. 
I'm completely fine with what they did and the choices that they made. And yeah, I know Josh Williams didn't get help a couple plays and the Chiefs or the Bills exploited them, but those are low percentage throws. Except for against the Chiefs, those are apparently quite high percentage throws. Like, I don't mean that like as a tongue-in-cheek thing. It's just the Chiefs have been terrible defending go balls and wide receiver one. So, I mean, you know, maybe there should have been a little bit more expectation that it would come in there. But yeah, the Chiefs gave up 24 points to the Buffalo Bills. You know, one of the best offenses in the NFL, and they gave up 24 points and a whole touchdown. And if I, one of the entire touchdowns came with like what uh a minute and a half left or whatever in the game, like what what is the problem there? What is the issue of the defense? Like we're upset because it looked bad to have a rookie get beat in a one-on-one play deep over the top. But what don't you see is the other seven times they blitzed and that rookie wasn't beat one-on-one over the top for a big play, right? Like the bills essentially had two successful plays on 11 blitzes from the chiefs. I believe it was in this game. Why would we not ride with those numbers? Like that seems like the most logical thing to do in this game. Now, I don't like the situation of the Stefan Diggs touchdown. I think blitzing from like the 18 yard line on first and 10. Why? What happened? Best case scenario, you get a sack on Josh Allen, who's big as hell that you already can't bring down. Maybe he lose five yards. Okay. Now it's second and 15 still in the red zone. Very chip shot field goal, right? The risk reward for that blitz is low. And the bills I think had already shown they kind of have a plan in the red zone on how to beat your blitz. It's max protect or heavy protection throw a fade route versus your rookie corner. They just showed you that and to come back and do it again in an even worse spot. The Gabe Davis one was at least from the 34 in a two-minute situation. A sack there matters. A sack on that Stefan Diggs play doesn't matter at all. So, you know, maybe I can gripe a little bit there, but just in terms of blitzing a lot, Chiefs didn't blitz enough. I don't think, I'll be straight up saying it. They didn't blitz enough. Their only success was blitzing or sim pressure and then dropping out, making Allen think pressure was coming. That's it. Those are the only time they had success. Blitz more, show more pressure. I don't like that the Chiefs backed off of it for the two-minute drill and in the fourth quarter. I think that's kind of what cost them, you know, the extra scores. I don't want to say the game, but that cost them points right there. Well, the guys at Casey Laboratory think that the defense should have blitzed more. Maybe we'll see that going forward, or maybe we'll see that again in the playoffs if we face the Bills. We'll see. But one-on-one, Mike DeVito and Jeff Allen sat down this week to talk about the silver lining and losing to the Bills this week. Yes, no one likes to lose, but there's a lot of lessons that can come out of this game. And going forward now, we have a lot of guys coming back on defense. You know, we have Willie Gay coming back from suspension. We have some corners coming back that hopefully will turn things around for the Chiefs defensive-wise. But also, the offensive line needs to step up a little bit. You got to protect Patrick Mahomes. He is the best quarterback in the National Football League for a reason, and you have to protect him. So Jeff Allen, as an offensive lineman, talks about that himself and the importance of, one, getting back some of the starters that have been injured, and two, protecting Patrick Mahomes. Again, silver lining. When I get when I get done with this game, as much as I want to win, um, I'm looking at it as a former player. You know, you do think about – even though whatever we're still 10 weeks away, 11 weeks away from any sort of yeah. playoff. Um, so a lot of stuff can happen before then. But, but, but I you will do think, yeah, I will say what we need to see though, which is kind of worrying me as an offensive lineman is we need to protect Pat a little bit better, mm. particularly on the edge. Um, the last 
few matchups against me. And there have been some big-time edge rushers, don't get me wrong, but we've had some trouble. When a guy has a premier pass rusher, we've had some trouble on both sides. And I think um, game plan-wise, maybe, you know, and I've seen some chips here and there, but maybe we focus a little bit more on helping those tackles. What From your perspective, so you're playing left guard. When I was there, you're at left guard. Yeah. Um, so you got left out. So you got Orlando Brown outside of you. We've, we've heard some of the criticism. Uh, I, I don't – I mean, you know better than I do. I don't think he's bad by any no, means. No, no. Uh, but uh, say he – so he's struggling a little bit. What are you thinking at, at that guard position when you know you have a guy on your edge that is having a tough time? Yeah, is I mean, it, I, I was into you, your yeah, de- definitely. If I know if I got a guy next to me who's in a slump or something like that, mm-hmm. I'm definitely there with some inside presence. Um, mm-hmm. Orlando Brown's situation isn't necessarily struggling with, with inside counter moves. It's been oh, it's been all speed, all all speed, get up the field, bend the corner type of yeah. pass yeah. rushers that have been giving him trouble. And honestly, I think he's he's hurt. I don't know. He doesn't look he doesn't look like he's moving as well. Um, but yeah, he's he's just been dealing with some speed stuff on the outside that, and, and it's all about getting out your stance and getting to your spot mm. and, and playing with good technique. No one's going to run that guy over. He's a, he's a huge human being. No, he no. doesn't have to worry about the bull rush. So the, the plan of attack with him is, is going to be the rest of the year. And always has been is try to beat him off the ball, beat him with speed, get around the right. corner. Um, and, and on the opposite side, while he's um, hadn't, hadn't been as he's been getting beat inside. He yeah. not, it hadn't been an issue with getting beat outside, you know, up the field. It's been, counter up the field, tricky with speed and go underneath. Mm. Um, so, and and he has to understand that he's been getting a lot more chips than Orlando's been getting. They've been getting a lot more help. And when you get a lot of chips, you're going to get a lot of inside moves. Mm-hmm. So he has to be more aware that you got the back to your side. The defense man can see that. Set up with a little bit more patience. Don't jump out there because they're going to end up going inside to avoid that chip. Mm. You mentioned the chip. Is there anything schematically protection-wise outside of the chip that you do to help yeah. the guys on the edges. So Yeah, definitely. You leave a tight end in line. Um, mm-hmm. You know, make that guy go to a wide nine or something. The tight end gives a little bit of presence. Um, slide protection. I mean, completely without any abandon. Tell the tackle to go get him because you got the inside guards help and right. kind of bait that guy inside knowing you're going to create a double team and that sort. Um, there's, there's so many different things that you can do. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to you know, press the panic button too much, but that's something, no, I've, seen, no. that's something I've seen with, with some really good rushers we, we face. We've had some troubles with them, and, and I don't think it's going to stop. We got we got another one coming up here in San Francisco. I don't know. Is, is, is Bosa healthy? I he saw might, a thing that I'm said not, he might be back. Yeah, I think he might be back. So he he's one of the best, and that, that's a tough matchup. Yeah, he's going to be all pissed and vinegar too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, so before we move on, though, uh, you did talk about the young guys in the secondary. This is something everybody's brought up all week. And there are a number of silver linings here. First off, there's a ton of confidence. When you can go up against Allen and that crew and do what they did, um, obviously things to clean up. But, you know, you can, you can you know, both confidence for those players and the coaches to say, hey, we can roll if guys get hurt. You know, yeah. these guys showed up in, on the biggest stage against the biggest team and, and, and they – they handled themselves fine. And so now you have this sort of influx of guys coming back, at least Willie Gay and then um, yeah, Thornhill. I'm trying Thor- to remember. Thornhill's back here. Um, um, McDuffie. The rookie McDuffie. Player. Sorry, I get that. He's, he's, he might be back. Um, I don't know. Fenton, I don't know how long he's out. Uh, that's um, right. But maybe he's back. Couple, that's tough. When you have those – those are, <laughs> I mean, skill positions – 
you know, at a, at a defensive line, we could have our all pro guy go down and I can fill in. Yeah. And while I can't do what he can do, I can still, you know, be a stopgap. I mean, you, yeah. you're not going to, you don't have this major. There's not uh, as big of a gap. Right. Back there. That's, that's hard. That's you, hard. And so there, there's a few positions that you can't, you can't hide a quarterback. Obviously you're yeah. manship. You can't hide it at either tackle spot. There's no right. hiding there. That's a tough position. And you can't hide in the defensive backfield. Right. <laughs> especially no, especially right. corner. Those positions right. are positions where that's why they invest so much money in them. Well, speaking of paying someone a lot of money, paying those positions a lot of money, um, Travis Kelsey just received a nice check in the middle of season. Now, the Chiefs just restructured his contract, and I'm sure everyone has been made aware of this so far, but he walked away with several million dollars coming out of that meeting. I would absolutely love to go into a meeting with my employer and then be like, oh, by the way, here's a few million dollars to take home. That's amazing. But what does this mean for the Chiefs? Well, BJ sat down with Nate Taylor to talk about five burning questions that he has for the Chiefs, and one being... What does the reconstruction of Travis Kelsey's contract mean for the Chiefs heading into the trade deadline? Now, the deadline is not until November 1st, but the Chiefs now have some salary cap to work with. They have a little bit of money to kind of pay some people. What does that mean for the organization? And should Chiefs fans be getting their hopes up that there's going to be some new additions? The Chiefs have restructured the contract of all pro tight end Travis Kelsey converting base salary into a signing bonus to clear $3.455 million in cap space mm -hmm. per source. Nate, what does it mean? All right, BJ. Um, this is where I, I put on my executive front office mm -hmm. sort of cap. And, you know, one of the Do first it. conversations we had way back before training camp was like, the thing I'm trying to get better at is understanding the layers of said moves for the team. Um, this is pretty simple. BJ was Pat was uh not Patrick was was Travis gonna make this money this year? Yeah. Yes. So yeah. it's an easy decision. Like I think yeah. it actually uh, helps Travis and his agents feel better. It's just like oh well we're we're just gonna get that money now. Great. You're just gonna cut us a check. Cool. Um, yeah. it does create cap space, and they do need it because you always want to be in. You always want to be at the table when it comes to. The trading deadline, and we've seen a trade already for various reasons because <laughs> it's an absolute, I mean, is it a garage sale in Carolina or is it just like come and just take it off the curb? Um, we'll find out with Brian Burns. And this is where it's headed. So no. if it comes to a Brian Burns conversation, you would you at least want to be at the table. You at least want to have some flexibility to say, hey, we are, we are a – possible destination or a possible trading partner um you know a lot of people will ask in the next couple of weeks i think you could still if if i were representing uh odell beckham jr i would wait till mm -hmm. after the trading deadline you you don't want to necessarily be in the mix right now you want to be in it more as you get closer to like the middle of november and obviously you would have a better sense of what teams can offer you from a salary cap standpoint um all this means is that the Chiefs now have more cast flexibility that they could potentially do something. Doesn't necessarily mean they'll do something, but they do have money 
of which to spend that they did not have earlier. And if you do not use that money, BJ, what I try to tell people all the time is uh, much of this season, much of the Tyreek Hill trade was about long-term thinking. You can save this money that you just created if a deal doesn't come together, if you don't want to give up a future draft pick, if you don't want to necessarily, you know, like let's say Sky Moore blossoms over the next month. Well, then maybe there's less of a need for Odell Beckham Jr. Well, you can roll that money into next year's salary cap, and that gives you a bigger cushion so that you are a bigger player for free agency. Now, I know it's only, you know, three or four million, but every little dollar matters. I mean, anybody who's going through a budget will understand if you give me extra dollars, I can now save it or spend it um, in a different way than I had anticipated earlier. So it's more of an accounting thing right now, but it does give the Chiefs a chance to sort of say, hey, you know, does Brian want to play for us? Because, Hmm. you know, we have draft picks. We have multiple draft picks in certain rounds that – are still considered valuable. So I'm just saying, you know, if if there's a chance and you want to just get rid of everybody, then Kansas City is at least within the mix compared to maybe, you know, eight to 12 other teams in the league. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but I need to tell you about one of our sponsors here, and that is Liquid Death. Look, you might be in a meeting you might be at work, you might be sitting at your desk, and you might see one of your coworkers start to crack open a 9 a.m., crack open a tall boy. You're thinking, what in the world is going on here? I love company culture, but I don't know if that's really a part of it. But then you look over, you start to look a little bit more closely. It's wide. It's got a gold little rim. That's not, that's not beer. It's actually a new mountain spring water brand called Liquid Death. And if you guys have been listening to KC Sports Network, you know why is it called Liquid Death? Because it brutally murders your thirst. That is right. It will quench that sucker. And not only is it brutally murdering your thirst, it is brutally murdering plastic pollution. They're infinitely recyclable tall boy aluminum cans. Uh, They're incredible. They recycle them and they, they can use those over and over Unlike plastic bottles where there's plastic pollution uh, everywhere. I hate plastic pollution. You hate plastic pollution. It is, it is our common enemy here in Chiefs Kingdom uh, is plastic pollution and the bills. So when you're looking at this, they also donate 10% of their profits of every can sold to, to help end plastic pollution. So not only are you drinking good water, you're also giving a little bit to a good cause as well. And listen, I love Liquid Death. Can't keep it in the house no matter what kind it is. If it's the still water, if it's the sparkling water, or the three flavors that they have, the berry, the mango, the lime, all three are excellent. Trust me, I know my sparkling water. I know my seltzers. They're incredible. I do love those so very much. And if you're looking to get your hands on some, you can find it at your local Target, Walmart, or 7-Eleven. You can also find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash KCSN. That's liquiddeath.com slash KCSN. Now let's get back to the show. Well, Nate says that there there could potentially be a move coming, but if the Chiefs fans know Brett Veach, we know that he is not very fond of stupid trades, stupid mistakes, anything that won't benefit the Chiefs short-term or long-term. And he is actually very well known to make some sly moves that no one else probably would see coming, but they end up being very 
impactful decisions offensively, defensively, even special teams for the Chiefs. There's a lot of guys that kind of flew under the radar that Veach saw as a rising superstar and snatched him up. Now, what does this mean for the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, they have to find someone that, if they will make a trade, that fits into their organization, you know, fits in their personality-wise. Is this a need in the offense? Is this a need in the defense? Are they going to have a good work ethic? Is everything that they're about going to fit into the Chiefs' mold? That's a big factor in a lot of these decisions when trades come about. It is the middle of the season or right abouts there. And having a whole new team, a guy come onto a whole new team, whole new roster, and fitting into that mold can kind of shake up a little bit of like the chemistry. So there's a lot of things that are unknown, but a trade could happen. The Chiefs love to kind of think, keep things under the radar, but us Chiefs fans can definitely, definitely dream and maybe even make some predictions. BJ, Nick, and Tucker sat down on Outside the Trenches this week to talk about what it means now that they have the extra cap space. The Chiefs are hypersensitive to making a move where you have to give up draft picks and money, especially in the middle of a season for a player. And I'm not saying this is likely. I'm saying that Chiefs fans are talking about this, and these are one of those dynamics they need to kind of understand, is that you don't know that player's work habits you don't know the way he approaches his craft. And it's a really tough thing for a player like a Colin Saunders or a Rashad Fenton, guys who have been in the system, done everything that they're supposed to do the right way. And not that they're going to get deals like we're talking about with Brian Burns, but there's only so much money to go around. And if all of a sudden the Chiefs make this huge move and give 80 million guaranteed, 100 million, 50 million guaranteed, whatever it is, this huge contract to a player that they don't know that fits their system. They don't know how he helps his teammates in the offseason. They don't know that he's doing all of the things that they want their players to do, and they want everyone in that locker room to see you step in and do the right things, and we are going to reward you with this contract. That kind of messaging resonates within the locker room. You're not just getting these mercenaries and paying everyone outside of your group to come in and help you all the time. Granted, you do it in free agency a little bit here and there, but that's a really tough thing to to do unless you personally have somebody on your staff that had worked with that player before. And I don't know those connections, but Nick, my question to you is in, cause you've been on a different teams in different locker rooms. Was that, has that ever been a thing with teams that you were on where you know that they were necessarily like comfortable throwing a bunch of money, especially mid season at players when you have guys in the locker room and you want them to know like, Hey, if I do the right thing, these people will reward me and not just keep going outside the family uh, to bring people in and, and reward those guys with the big contracts. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think green Bay was, is, is notorious for barely bringing in free agents. You know, they develop mm -hmm. talent in house and it's all, you know, kind of like a farm team also pro team. That's, you know, they draft well and they build, build around them and they let, let them go. And some teams will, will try to, I mean, look at Andy Reid. I think they learned from the 2012 season in Philly that you can't just put a bunch of high paid guys together and make it work. You know, you got to have chemistry. So he's definitely yeah. conscious about, about chemistry. And, and I think right now what you're looking at, too, is you don't really have that, I mean, you know, that nasty edge rusher uh, that that you that you fear. Right. Like and, and that's just, you know, de depending on the design of the Spagnola system is, you know, some guys are, are meant to get sacks and some guys are meant to contain. Right. So you don't know what what it is, what's going on. But obviously, if they went for Burns, they'd be going for a guy who they want to see production. They want to see a guy, a, a, a young, a young talent who who gets production. Who, who strikes fear into your heart where if you're playing them that week, you're like, Oh shit, 
I better strap it up because this dude, this dude's legit. Like he's going to get me if, if, if I'm not in my A game, like the Niners with Bosa. Right. And so yeah. you need someone to strike that fear. They have it with Chris Jones. And if you have it on the inside and the outside, geez, dude, that's huge. Well, speaking of chemistry and working well together, the Kansas Jayhawks, the football Kansas Jayhawks, that is, are having a very good season that no one really saw coming. Yes, they just suffered a loss to Oklahoma, but they are still going forward the rest of the season. And what will the rest of the season look like? Ain't No Seats talks about that this week and their next upcoming matchups. They played Baylor this week. What to expect from that game, as well as looking ahead, what will Kansas be in a few weeks? You know, are these next matchups going to be defining moments? Can Kansas bounce back from the loss and continue a season unlike they've had in a very long time? I think the one game that scares me right now is Texas. For some reason, I know they almost lost to Iowa State, but I think that up-tempo, all that speed they have, all those running backs they can throw at you, mm-hmm. that game scares me the most, I think, the rest of the year. I kind of wanted to ask you, like, what would the top two games left on the schedule be for you, I guess, in terms as you thinking Kansas can win? Um, one of them for sure, and it might sound crazy, but it's Oklahoma State at home. And we've talked about it throughout this whole pod, and we've talked about it weeks before. But the little predictor thing that claims that that's KU's best chance at their next win, I just think they're not as good as their ranking shows. They're good. Like, I don't want to say they're a bad team. They're going to win eight or nine games, maybe ten. Um, but then I, I think it's a toss-up between Baylor and Tech. If we get Baylor with their backup, that's I mean, where we've been talking about it this whole episode. Like, I think that's a possible win. And then Tech, it's probably going to be a similar line, maybe six. Yeah. But, I mean, we can go in and win at Tech. I mean, the Tech-Baylor, those two seem obvious to me. Obviously, both Mm -hmm. unranked teams. Um, Texas, Oklahoma State, K-State, obviously ranked and super high-powered. I guess Oklahoma State and Texas got some high-powered offenses. But that's what I was kind of – that's why I was kind of asking that, the top two teams that you thought we could beat because – and I don't want to keep talking about not bowling, but I'm kind of thinking about foreshadowing here, I guess. If they if they lose to Baylor on Saturday, what are we going to be saying next week about KU? That's what scares me because if you lose that game to Baylor, I feel like we're not going to have any hopes for Oklahoma State. I know you do. I'm I'm going to think it's going to be a competitive game, but I'm almost going to get to the point where I do actually because right now I truly think we'll go bowling. We'll find a way to win more, one more. But mm-hmm. if they lose that game this weekend in Waco, which is one of our best chances to win the rest of the year, if we lose that game, I think KU fans are going to start melting down and there's going to be rival fan bases that start, start talking about this KU team losing out. Yeah, maybe it probably depends on how the game looks though. Well, another team that is looking ahead at the rest of the season is Mizzou. They are coming off a bye week and it is homecoming in Columbia, Missouri for all the Mizzou fans and Mizzou alum. And it is a very important week for Mizzou football and coach Eli Drinkwitz. It is arguably the most important game that he will coach all year as they face Vanderbilt. Now, Vanderbilt just got annihilated by Georgia. Yes, Georgia is a top team in the country. But if Mizzou can't defeat Vanderbilt, that might be the nail in the coffin for Drinkwitz first and fans. It's homecoming. It's Vanderbilt. And losing to Vanderbilt would just put a very sour taste in a lot of fans' mouths. So this is a very pivotal game for Mizzou. 
And on Mizzou, that's who they talked about the importance of one homecoming and Mizzou's tradition in that two, what it would mean to defeat and lose against Vanderbilt and three, what Mizzou has to do going forward to turn the season around. It does have to be a win. If Mizzou, if Mizzou wants an opportunity to, to be a five and seven bull qualifier, they have to get this game. It is important to get the win. I'll be there all weekend. It's Friday I mean, I called it like, tell me if you guys disagree. I called it on Monday morning, the most important game Eli Drinkwitz has coached here. Because it's, sadly, I, yes. I, I mean, the, the, the results of the, the, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but the impact of, of a loss to Vanderbilt on Saturday. I mean, how much I would set the program boy. back for sure. Uh, you can't, you can't, uh, no matter how uh, maybe good, how much, how better Vanderbilt has gotten this year, which I mean, maybe they have gotten better. Maybe Vanderbilt has gotten better. I think the Hawaii game kind of made people I mean, they, think, well, they maybe look good. good. We'll miss for a half. They yeah. just lost to Georgia 55 to zero. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's Mizzou no sure reason we shouldn't game. win that game. There's no reason right. we shouldn't. But the optics of just losing to a Vanderbilt team is not good. Um, I mean, brand, brand versus brand, essentially. You guys know the last time an SEC team lost a game to Vanderbilt? It was October of 2019. Was it us? That that coach was a few weeks later no longer employed by the school that he yeah. coached at that yeah. game. Yes. It was it was Missouri. It was us. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Owen no. 24 since. Oh wow. I did not know that. That is uh that is a heavy stat now laying in on this game that I'm going to be thinking about the yeah. whole entire time uh that this that this game is happening. But Missouri but, but has like to win this game. Side, if to. you're Vanderbilt, if you if you were a Vanderbilt Vanderbilt fan and looked at your schedule at the beginning of the year and said, All right, where's our chance? This is the game. This is the one you circled as hey, maybe. Yeah. I mean I think that's that's for that's been a lot of the a lot of the teams that you know we've in the SEC. They look at Missouri, and Missouri's now become a team where they say, "Okay, yeah, we can cut, we can pencil in a win there. We'll get that one. We'll yeah. we'll get that one." Missouri's become into that team that they are fighting for. Gabe, as you said before we before we hopped on, fighting for thirteenth place essentially. Um, yeah, which is not a great lost, spot lost to the be 12th in. Lost the twelfth place game in Auburn a few weeks ago, but still can win the thirteenth place game. <laughs> Is still almost won the first out. place game the week Every, after. Right. Everybody felt so good about the first 40 minutes of this podcast, and now they're like, These people are idiots. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, we had to bring football into it. Um, is really, <laughs> really what happened. Uh, but I thought we should mention it a little bit, you know, before we head out of here. But yeah, I must win game. I think this is the, yeah, I think you're right, Gabe. I think this is the most must win game of Eli Drinkwood's tenure. Um, mm-hmm. is it, is it, do you think it's the first true must win game for him in his tenure? Probably, um, because I don't think there's such a thing as a must-win game in the first two years. And That's like, right. I, look, he can lose this game, and he's not getting fired like Sunday morning. And even, but losing to Vanderbilt at least makes you understand. Hey, there might be a conversation at the end of this year. I still don't think they should do it, but losing this game means there's a conversation that winning this game can avoid. Losing at home to Vanderbilt on homecoming oh. is about the worst that it could possibly be. I mean, so yep. I mean, much. 
in the I mean, land the, of the schedule makers, the, yeah. The schedule makers did Missouri a favor because back when I grew up, before every game was on TV, the only thing you knew was like, look, homecoming is going to be KUK State or some blood donor in the non-conference because homecoming, the idea is you want to win when everybody mm-hmm. comes back. Well, that's kind of gone out the window because TV dictates everything now, so you don't really get to pick who you play on homecoming. Uh, but they did Missouri a favor and gave them the one that, that they absolutely should win. Now, another team that is coming off of a bye week is the Kansas State Wildcats. Now, John and Cole sat down this week on 3MA to talk with Wyatt Thompson on the importance of the bye week. And there was a lot of injured players that K-State fortunately, you know, had the bye week that they could recover. But Wyatt says if there was a game last week, they probably would have been out. So thankfully, the bye week came when it did. And now Wyatt talks with John and Cole on moving forward, what K-State can expect the rest of the season and how hopefully being healthy will make the biggest impact. The scheduling really, but I I think the off week came at an absolute perfect time and a very much needed time for, for this football team. I know something we've talked about on the pod here is is the offensive line play. And obviously, speaking of injuries, losing Taylor Portier didn't yeah. didn't help early on in the year there. It's been a little <laughs> bit up and down. I guess a two-part question kind of here. How do you evaluate it? And and how much do you think they are missing Taylor Portier there? Well, I'd be kidding myself if I didn't say they miss him because this one sticks in my brain. Back in the preseason, I heard Coach Kleiman say, it's great having a guy back who, when he went down a year ago, was our best offensive lineman. That is a mouthful when you think about how good Cooper Beebe is and how well he has played as the starting left tackle a year ago and the starting left guard this year. So that is a significant loss. I think what I appreciate, even through growing pains, is Hayden Gillum just basically taking over that Noah Johnson role from a year ago, which is not easy. And it isn't just the football part. It's the mental part, you know, trying to be a leader of that group. I really appreciate Hayden on that. And then Panzer has been, he's been solid at at the right guard position. And the best part for me is, is one, the type of kid he is, two, how much he loves the game, and three, I think I have a very good feel of the fact that he's a good player now. Think about what he's going to look like even a year from now and still have, you know, another year or so of football left. (laughs) I mean, there are people that think he's as good as most and um, he's just kind of scratching the surface. So would you rather have Taylor and have the added depth there with that body? You betcha, because he's good. I felt so bad for him to have that happen, but they've also survived it. And, you know, Connor, you guys know this, Connor Riley's really, really good at what he does. Thank goodness. K-State takes on TCU this week as they hopefully defeat the Horned Frogs and the Kansas City Chiefs. They are traveling to San Francisco to take on the 49ers and their team looks a little different. 49ers, that is. They have new running back. Christian McCaffrey on their team and the Chiefs will get the first look at him in a 49ers jersey before any other team. What this means for the Chiefs defensively, we will see if they will stop the run against CMC and hopefully come back from the Bay with a win. This is the best of everything. I'm your host, Michaela Bennett.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.